The following sermon is from Grace Church East County. More information about Grace Church is available at gracechurcheast.org. Today's our last sermon in Revelation for a little while. We will enjoy uh, Tim Kane ministering God's Word to us next week, and then we'll start our Advent series. We're going to look at the offices of Christ as fulfilled for us in our incarnate Savior. And then in the new year, we will loop back to the book of Exodus. We are, we are preaching sequentially through both of these books, sections at a time, Exodus and Revelation. And in that way, we're getting a nice variety of genre or type of literature in Scripture. We're getting looks at Old Testament and New Testament, but we are seeing in both the greatness of our God and His reign over all things for His glory and our good. I'd like to pray for us, and then Alan's going to read our passage in Revelation 11. I want to pray from Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Lord, we ask you, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened, that we would know what is the hope to which you have called us in Christ and what are the riches, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. Open the eyes of our hearts, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who, set, who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations rage, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for, the, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail, the word of the Lord. Thank you, Alan. I'm wondering something. I'd like you to think about it. Where do you need hope right now? Where do you need hope? Where do you need a, a sure, certain kind of hope? Where do you need the kind of hope that makes a, a tangible difference in your life. You got it in mind? A hope kind of like this. John Patton wanted to go as a missionary to the New Hebrides Islands. At the time, it included people practicing cannibalism. So some people, well-meaning people, sought to dissuade Patton from going including in Patton's words, one dear old Christian gentleman whose argument to him was always, the cannibals, you will be eaten by cannibals. 
And that might be persuasive for me to stay home. But Patton replied to that gentleman as follows. Mr. Dixon, you are advanced in years now, and your own prospect is soon to be laid in the grave, there to be eaten by worms. I confess to you that if I can but live and die serving and honoring the Lord Jesus, it will make no difference to me if I'm eaten by cannibals or eaten by worms. And then he said this. And in the great resurrection day, my body will arise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. You catch his hope? Did you hear that? On the last day, whether I'm eaten by worms or by cannibals, on the last day, I shall arise just like you. Now, I do not believe any of us here are facing cannibals, but whatever your fears that you walked in with, whatever challenges you're facing, your own anxieties in your heart right now, don't you long for that kind of hope. Friends, brothers and sisters, don't you need that kind of future-oriented, heavenly hope? Well, what John Patton had is held out to you and me in this passage. What Patton had, this heavenly-minded, sustaining hope, making such a tangible difference. Well, that is here before us. For here we are taught that God's coming kingdom provides us sustaining hope for today. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing right now, whatever this week or this coming year holds for you, listen, God's coming kingdom provides you with a sustaining hope. We're going to see that sustaining hope in a few different ways. First, first God's coming kingdom reign, as in R-E-I-G-N. God's coming kingdom reign sustains our hope. We're picking up where, where six trumpets have been blown Six warnings of judgment in the form of disasters and and demonic oppression. And now, now the seventh trumpet sounds, but instead of only judgment, now we also hear praise. Look at verse 15 again. Verse 15. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Now, heavenly voices declare that God and his Messiah, Jesus, have taken up their kingdom reign forever. Which might be a a bit confusing. Hasn't God always reigned sovereignly over every molecule in the universe? Yes. Hasn't God always reigned over everything? Yes. So what is verse 15 celebrating? 
Well, let me explain this idea of the kingdom of God for just a moment. Think of this kingdom reign as a dynamic thing. The kingdom of God in Christ is the dynamic reign of God. I like to call it the redeeming reign of God, the redeeming, transforming reign of God as king. The redeeming, transforming reign of God as king in Christ. Now, Jesus brought that dynamic kingdom crashing into human history in his earthly ministry. He came healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf, even raising the dead. Great works of compassion, yes, but, friends, but signs that God's kingdom, his transforming kingdom, had come because the king had come in the flesh. Jesus came preaching. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. So, people enter that transforming reign of God as king. They enter that through repentance and saving faith. The Christian is someone in Christ's kingdom now. The Christian is someone under his saving, transforming reign now. So the kingdom of God in Christ has already come. But not yet fully come. We just pray to lament for good reason. We still get sick. We still suffer. There are people suffering around the world in ways we cannot relate to. There is great oppression and too many injustices to list in this world. And for all of us, we face certain death. And so, as is often said, we live in the already but the not yet. That's helpful to keep in mind. We live in the already, but the not yet of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God in Christ has already come, but not yet come in fullness. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come. We have the first taste of that transforming reign in our lives, but not the fullness yet. We have the appetizer, not yet the main course. Verse 15 is the main course. The kingdom of the world has become, in this vision, has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. This is, in other words, God's uncontested reign in Christ. His unchallenged reign in Christ over this world. Here, the point is here, Satan is no longer allowed some degree of authority or power in this world. Here, in this future moment, here in this vision, all of God's enemies have been defeated. Here, all who opposed God's purposes and all who persecuted God's people are eliminated. This is God's uncontested, unchallenged reign in Jesus. So when does that happen? Well, take a look at how the hymn begins next in verse 16. Just read on a little bit. Verse 16 says, And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, worshipped God, saying, 
We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. For you have taken your great power and begun to reign in this perfected, consummated way. Now, do you notice anything missing in verse 17? Did you catch a certain intentional omission in verse 17? Let me give you a a few references. In Revelation chapter 1, we read, Grace to you and peace from him who him." from him who is and who was and who is to come. Also in chapter 1, I am the Alpha, the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come. In Revelation 4, who is and who was and who is to come. What's the omission in verse 17? We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. There's no who is to come. Why? Because Jesus has already come back at this point in the future, in the vision. You catch what I'm saying? This is when Jesus returns in the future, we're seeing. Jesus returns in the future, and then the the unchallenged, uncontested reign of God in Christ is enjoyed. Recall we are seeing the same the same period of time in Revelation repeatedly. The period of time between his first, the first and second coming of Jesus. We are seeing that same football play repeatedly, but from different camera angles. So this, again, is a vision of the end when Jesus returns and the transforming rate of God in Christ is consummated, experienced fully and finally. And that, friends, is hope for you today. A future-oriented, sure hope. Recall that many of the first readers of this book were suffering greatly. Not all were suffering, but many were suffering. Many were under enormous pressure to, to worship a statue of the emperor, to burn incense to the statue of the emperor who thought himself divine. That should be a problem if you're a Christian. They were under enormous pressure to conform to societal norms of idolatry and immorality. That sounds a bit like our day. But in this day, those who didn't conform to those societal norms could lose their jobs, their livelihoods, and some had lost their lives. But verse 15 does what? It lifts their eyes to this future day when Jesus comes back and God's uncontested reign, his unchallenged reign in Christ is experienced and all suffering and all persecution are eradicated. What a hope this would be for them and should be for us. A day is coming when all that is hard and grieving for you all that wages war in your soul, all that opposes God's work in your life and in the lives of your loved ones, all of that will be eradicated when the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. So friends, God's coming kingdom reign 
provides sustaining hope. And the rest of the passage really unpacks that rain for us and so imports that hope for us. So secondly, secondly, God's coming kingdom justice sustains our hope. We've seen the coming kingdom reign of God, and now let's unpack that. Secondly, God's coming kingdom justice, his justice, his coming kingdom justice sustains our hope. Look back to this hymn of praise. Let me read it again just to enjoy this. Verse 16, and the 24 elders who stood on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God saying, we give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was. Why? For you have taken your great power and begun to reign fully and finally, and that reign is now unpacked for us. Verse 18. Verse 18. The nations raged, but your wrath came. It's an allusion to Psalm 2, where the nations are raging against God and his Messiah, which, by the way, includes our nation. This is not a holy nation. In verse 18, however, rage and wrath are related words in the original language. So you you could paraphrase this. The nations were wrathful against God, So God's wrath came to them. The nations were angry with God. So God's anger came to them. In other words, the punishment fits the crime. So we're seeing justice here. And just just glance later on today at Revelation 19 and see King Jesus returning on a war horse. The blood of his enemies spattered on his robe, and he comes to rule the nations with a rod of iron. The Lord Jesus is full of grace and mercy and compassion beyond our understanding, and he is holy and just. The nations rage, your wrath came. Verse 18 continues, the time, the the fitting time, the fitting time, notice, for the dead to be judged. I mean, isn't that a loaded phrase? It's now the fitting time for the dead to be judged. We're going to see in the future Revelation chapter 20 where this This idea is unpacked. Let me just read a couple sentences from Revelation 20. John writes, I saw the dead, great and small. That's saying everybody. That's saying you're included, I'm included. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and and books were opened. And then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And listen, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. So we will all stand before that great, awesome throne and give an accounting. And listen, if you're here and 
you're not yet reconciled to God through Jesus. We are so glad you're here. I think it's important you're here. And I want you to understand this reality that you too will stand before that throne and give an accounting. But, but one named Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose to satisfy the justice of God for all who believe, for all who turn to him, trust in him, and follow him. If you, if you are his, that justice is taken away and the book of life is where your name is found. I urge you to flee to Christ today by faith. So justice is meted out then as verse 18 continues. In two ways. And for rewarding your servants, literally bond servants or slaves, rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Now, destroyers of the earth is not about people damaging the environment. It's about the devil and his minions and all who are rebelling against God. They are destroyed. And God is being worshipped here for his justice. Recall that. But it's also, notice, a fitting time in verse 18 for rewarding, rewarding God rewarding his servants, the prophets and saints, those who fear his name, both, it says, small and great. So none of his people are left out. If you are one of his going to reward you. Now, you might wonder, if you're making some connections here, you might wonder, wait a minute, Tab, you read Revelation 20, which says the dead are judged according to what they have done. We too are sinners. We too have fallen short in countless ways. We too were born into a sinful condition. How can we get rewarded according to what we have done? Ever wonder that? Well, here's why. Because for the genuine Christian, your imperfect but changed life reflects his transforming grace. Your imperfect but changed life reflects his transforming grace. And so he says, yes, I shall reward you to the glory and praise of his grace. And if you want to read about that reward, skip ahead later to chapters 21 and 22. But catch the point here, catch the main idea. This heavenly hymn, this heavenly praise is worshiping God for his justice, which should provide us hope as well. Hope for those who have been mistreated. Hope for those who have been abused. Hope for those who have been misrepresented. Hope for those who in this life were attacked or maligned or slandered. Is that you? I, I just find when I'm even misrepresented in some way, even in some innocent way, it's very tempting for me. 
If you've been mistreated, abused, misrepresented, attacked, maligned, slandered, and look, that's inevitable for all of us in some way. Here's hope. Justice to come. There's a children's book called The Moon. The moon is always round. The moon is always round. It's about how the moon sometimes looks like a crescent or a wedge. I don't know if that's waxing or waning. I don't understand those things, but you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes there's a crescent moon. But when the moon looks like that, it's still round. The moon shape never changes, though part of the moon is obscured from our eyes. You know, aspects of God's character sometimes get obscured from our eyes, our perception in this life, like part of the moon. Sometimes his goodness or his justice are obscured from what we can perceive in our experience. Is that you right now? Has his justice been obscured from your eyes because of what others have done to you or said about you? Well, that's really hard, and I'm not trying to minimize that. I'm simply saying, like the moon, God is still the same. And this passage is reminding us of his justice and coming perfect justice one day. That is a great balm, is it not? To the suffering soul. God's perfect justice one day is a great healing balm to the mistreated soul. It means you can, as the Apostle Peter put it, entrust yourself to him who judges justly. I don't know what you're going through. And I'm not trying to minimize what's been done to you. I'm saying in light of that coming day, it's possible to entrust yourself to him today. Friends, God's coming kingdom justice provides sustaining hope. But then there's one more kingdom effect here. One more kingdom effect. Thirdly, God's coming kingdom presence sustains our hope. God's coming kingdom presence, his, his presence sustains our hope. And then this, this section in Revelation ends in verse 19. Then, verse 19, then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and, and heavy hail. This is the language of what's called a theophany, an appearance of God. It, it echoes Israel before Mount Sinai, which we will see soon in the book of Exodus. But these theophanies, this, this theophany language is building in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 4, there were lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder before God's throne. In Revelation 8, there was again thunder, lightning, and then an earthquake was added. Now in Revelation 11, we've got all of that happening and a hailstorm. The intensity is building. 
with another peek into the future of heaven coming to earth and God present among his people in unshielded glory and splendor. Now, why do I say God is present here? Well, because of this Ark of the Covenant in verse 19. Do you see that? The Ark of the Covenant, Old Testament imagery John is pulling on. I don't believe he's seeing some future rebuilt literal temple in Jerusalem. This is symbolic language of God's presence with his people. Think about the significance of it. In the Old Testament and that previous temple in Jerusalem on the Day of Atonement, The high priest and only the high priest could draw near that Ark of the Covenant and sprinkle the blood of a sacrifice on the top of that Ark, the mercy seat, a covering for the people's sins that this holy God might dwell among them. Here, John is just seeing the way opened. That's the point. And you and I just drawing near as priests because of another sacrifice made once for all. So that's true for you now in Jesus, of course, the book of Hebrews tells us. But on this day in the future, on this day, the fullness of God's presence is open to you and enjoyed by you fully and finally forever. So so glorious that that John can only capture it with lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and, and hail. I was thinking about living in the Midwest. We lived there for uh, 14 years almost. I, I grew up in the D.C. area, lived in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, But when we moved to Illinois, I experienced storms that I had not experienced before, particularly the the intensity of the lightning. I remember lying in bed, being awoken by a, a Midwest storm, and the amount of lightning was startling. It was awesome and wonderful and a little bit frightening at the same time. Maybe that gives you a sense of what we should feel here. Just, oh, wow. Awesome, glorious, a little bit frightening. You mean the immediate presence of God in Christ? Yeah. D.A. Carson has a wonderful illustration of how in apocalyptic literature like this, God is drawing on different things we can relate to to help us with what we can't fully relate to. He, He imagines it being like, explaining electricity to a primitive tribe where they know nothing of electricity. And you would go there and and you'd say, um, yeah, well, a power plant produces power and then it comes through electric lines and it goes to your house and it lights up light bulbs. I mean, what are you talking about? Maybe you'd say, um, well, there's a vine and a vine contacts. Lightning rumblings, peals of thunder, earthquake, hail. It's it's all saying you're going to have unobstructed access to the unshielded splendor, glory, and majesty of God forever. Unobstructed access 
the unshielded splendor, glory, and majesty of God in Christ. Chris Stewart was a professional baseball player. He was uh, with a number of major league teams for different seasons. At one point in his life, he was an aging backup catcher, hoping to clear one last threshold, eight years of major league service. He needed just 75 more days in the majors to receive something he'd only heard about called the gold card. This is real. The gold card is awarded to baseball players who surpass eight years of service in the major leagues. It gives the holder of the gold card and a guest free admission to any major league baseball game for life. If Steve Farrington had that, we would never see Steve again. <laughs> At least the whole baseball season, he would be gone. Free unobstructed access to any major league game for life. Listen, Jesus achieved for you the ultimate gold card. Unobstructed access into the very presence of God, his unshielded splendor and glory and majesty. And that should sustain your hope today. That should give you hope today. Sung and I pulled away for a little retreat slash vacation recently, and I began reading a book called Faithfully Present by Adam Ramsey. The first half is about the passing of time and a kind of a theology of time, because in middle age, I've been struggling with that. The regrets of the past, and nostalgia about the past, good times in the past that are, that are gone, particularly as you have kids who grow up, and my kids are basically grown. And we have nice times together now, and I'm so, so thankful for that. But I get kind of melancholy, I get kind of sad, and maybe even a little depressed sometimes when I think about the good times when they were little, too, that aren't coming back. Can you relate? The author said something that helped me. He said, take the regrets and the nostalgia to the gospel. Take the regrets and the nostalgia to Jesus and his finished work. He said, and then realize your best days are ahead. That really struck out to me, stuck out to me and struck me. Do I really believe that? That my best days are not behind me. They're ahead of me. Friends, here's where hope is sustained. Knowing that because of God's coming kingdom, your best days are ahead of you. Martin Lloyd-Jones was a powerfully used preacher of the past century. When he was dying of cancer, an associate asked Lloyd-Jones, how are you managing? Dr. Jones, you, you, Lloyd-Jones, you influenced people on five continents. How are you coping with all of that being over now? 
And just imagine the nostalgia of that. Lloyd-Jones responded with Jesus' words in Luke's gospel, quote, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. And it's interesting in that scene, Jesus had sent out his disciples on a mission trip, been powerfully used in ministry, came back rejoicing. Jesus, guess what happened? And then Jesus said in his loving way, look, don't, don't rejoice most in your ministry success. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Your name's been recorded in the book of life. So for Lloyd-Jones, he knew his best days were ahead. Do you know that? This is a hope, isn't it? A sustaining hope to keep you going. A sustaining hope to take with you. A kingdom-oriented coming hope in Jesus that is sure and certain and rock solid. Because of Christ, your best days are ahead of you. Here's a little homework assignment to consider. Again, consider reading Revelation 21 and 22 later today or maybe repeatedly this week to help your soul rejoice that your name is written in heaven. You see, thankfully, we're not facing cannibals like John Patton, but you are facing challenges. You are facing fears. You are facing anxieties. You am, you, you are, and I am. But friends, God's coming kingdom can provide you and me with sustaining hope. His perfect reign, his perfect justice, and his perfect presence in Christ forever. Let's pray and bring our hearts to God on that note. The music team can come. And I just want to give you a moment to maybe even close your eyes and consider the hope that we see. This sure, certain, future-oriented, heavenly hope in Christ. When you in Christ will experience God's unchallenged reign, we will stand in awe of his perfect justice. And we will enjoy what we cannot fathom right now, his perfect presence forever. Bring to the Lord where you need that hope right now.
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, would you help us here? My own heart and my words are so inadequate to catch the, the glory of this future vision. Help us long for this day when the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Seal to our hearts this sure hope we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Grace Church East County. Please find us online at gracechurcheast.org if you would like to find out more about us.